You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning. Good morning, church. It's finally like perfect outside, right? It went from 91 to 31 an hour like in the 70s, and it's nice. It's awesome. Enjoy it while we can until it snows tomorrow or whenever. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, we are in the series in the book of Exodus, so if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 9. We'll look at the first 12 verses of chapter 9 this morning. And what we've been kind of walking through together, uh, we, as a church, we finished up uh, Genesis, um, looking at the likes of Joseph and his suffering, and that really the, the big picture of all of that was that God meant it for good. God has a plan. God is sovereign. He has, he has the right, the authority, right? And he has the power to do whatever he wants. He's a sovereign God. And in his providence, he orchestrates everything. And he takes care of everything to work out his own purposes, his own, his own will. Because he is perfect, and he is just, and he is good, and he is faithful. We, we're learning about the doctrine of God. Who is this God that we serve? Why do we gather here? Why do we all pull up this morning, get out of our cars, and come in here and find a seat? What, why are we here? What's the purpose of being together? Well, we're, we belong to him. We are his people. He has saved us, and he is sanctifying us. And by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, we are a family. We are the sons and daughters of God. We, we have an inheritance in heaven with him for eternity. And we have work to do while we're still here. And, and our, our, our greatest joy should be, our greatest work is to worship him. To describe worth to our God. Because he's worthy of it. He's the only one who deserves glory because of who he is. We're learning about that in Exodus. He, he revealed himself finally to his people and gave his personal name to them. Yahweh. He says, I am who I am. God just is. He didn't have a beginning. He has no end. He inhabits eternity. Right? He's the, he's the one who's high and lifted up. There is no one like him. He wants everyone to know this. He wants his name proclaimed in all the earth, throughout all generations. He desires this because he's worthy of that. And so he desires the worship of his people. We see that he's delivering them from bondage. He's, he wants to bring them, Israel, he, the Hebrews, his people, he wants to bring them out of Egypt. Right? But not just to bring them out, not just to save them from bondage, but to save them to something. And that's life with him. He will be their God. They will be his people. And so he's, he's, he's taking them out to what? To serve him, to worship him. He desires their worship. God wants to be known. He wants Israel to know who he is. He wants Egypt to know who he is. And he's making himself known in the plagues, in these, these blows, these wounds. Right? He's striking them with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand. 
And he is bringing judgment upon the gods of Egypt and upon Egypt themselves. And we got to remember the whole story. So sometimes we get into the story where we, we jump in right in the middle of the plagues and we start to feel bad maybe for some people. And is this, we, we start to get that whole division of Old Testament mean God, fire and brimstone versus New Testament grace and Jesus and start to make these separations. His holiness is, is the same. His perfections are the same. His desire for glory is the same. He's glorified through his son, Jesus. But he deserves all the glory because he is completely morally perfect. All of his attributes are a show of who he is. They bring him glory. All these works that he's doing, they're divine justice. He is judging evil and sin. And that is a good thing from a good God. And remember that the Egyptians, they partnered up with Pharaoh at the beginning of this whole thing. right? They were okay with with suppressing the Israelites, suppressing the Hebrews because they were growing and and gaining number and, and power. They were okay putting them in hard slavery, bitter service. They were on board with all of that. Right, they they took part in in infanticide and killing all the the newborn boys of the Hebrews and throwing them to the Nile. They were part of all of this, and so the judgment is not just fair; it's just. It's coming from a holy God. He does things perfectly, and so we're in the middle of the plagues here. We we looked at the um, the first four plagues. Last week, we looked at the plague of frogs, and some of you um, shared with me um, that you were appropriately disgusted by the visual nature of frogs being everywhere, right? Everywhere. Pharaoh couldn't hide from them. He he tried to turn away and and go into his house and shut the door after the Nile turned to blood. He just kind of excused himself from that whole thing. Maybe this will go away. But the frogs, they wouldn't let that happen. God brought them into his bedroom, into his bed, on top of him. Frogs were everywhere. And remember that this is also a battle against the gods of Egypt. God is judging them. He's the only true God. And so the gods of Egypt, there was the, the, the god, the, the frog goddess, right? The one, the goddess of fertility, of new life, Hecate, remember? And it, she was portrayed as a goddess with the head of a frog, which is just disturbing and not very smart. I don't know why you would do that, but they did that, right? And so this was, here's your God, have as much as you'd like. And the God was everywhere, right? This, this frog God, this God of fertility, this God of the, you know, the gods of the Nile. Here, you want, you want some, you want the God of the land, of the, of the dust of the desert? Here, have as much as you'd like. And God turned all the dust into what? And the gnats and the lice and they were everywhere. Imagine just this everywhere. In your face, in your mouth, in your ears, all over, all over your skin, and all the beasts, everything. And then he goes from there to flies. So I guess a little bit of an upgrade as far as size, I don't know. But they were probably biting flies too, not just the normal house fly. Later in the Psalms it says that the flies devoured them. So they were probably getting bit a lot. You know those flies when you go swimming in the summertime, those ones that just bug you, they, they kind of sting a little bit. And they swarmed everywhere. And Pharaoh is getting a taste of who this God really is. Remember, his magicians are off the scene now. They, they reproduced, they copied in their satanic secret arts the, the plague of the Nile and the plague of the frogs. But with the gnats, they, they couldn't do it. Why? Because God's in control of all these things. They weren't even on the scene with the flies. And for the next couple, they can't do anything. In fact, they are actually afflicted by the boils. 
by the sores to the point where they can't even stand before Moses, these so-called magicians, these religious elites in Egypt. So God is making himself known. And I've read, read this a couple times already, and I just want to, as we set the stage again, um, this is important enough. It keeps coming to mind, and as I prepare, um, it just seems like we just need to keep putting this in front of ourselves, this idea of idolatry, this idea of serving other gods. We feel so far away from Egypt, and that's not us, and I don't bow down to frogs, and right? I would never worship a fly god. That, that's ridiculous. We, we sometimes fail to make the connection of the things we do worship in this world that are similarly foolish, And so God reminds his people over and over again in the Old Testament. And we see this reminder even coming into the New Testament that idolatry is deadly. And for God's people, it is is not to be done. It's forbidden. It's It's not good for us in the first place. And all it does is take glory away from God who deserves it and puts it on something else that does not. It's giving glory and worshiping a created thing. It doesn't make any sense. And so in Isaiah 44, uh, you can just listen. I already talked about the folly of idolatry. There's this whole section about fashioning idols that the, the, um, the ironsmith taking cutting tools and melting things down and making a little metal idol and worshiping it. And the carpenter doing the same thing with wood, right? And worshiping it. And how, how, how can you cut down a tree and you take the wood from the tree and you use it to make a fire and use it to bake bread and then whatever's left over, you make an idol out of it. Right? This is what God is saying. And the rest of it he makes, and this is verse 17, and the rest of it he makes it into a god, his idol. He falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. They know not nor they discern for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts they cannot understand no one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on his coals. I roasted meat and have eaten, and I shall make the rest of it into an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Is there not a lie in my right hand? That's the key. What happens in idolatry? We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then in 46, I've read this a few times, Isaiah 46, To whom will you liken me, the Lord says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal, to compare me that we may be alike? The whole idea in Exodus is that there's no one like him. And I hope you're getting this. I hope you're taking this home with you. And we're not just playing around with, with, with Christianity anymore and just being... You know, just getting through the day, getting through Sunday. Okay, I've done my devotion. I've done my prayer. I've done my Christian duty. I've done my diligence. I've gave my tithe. I prayed for that missionary. Good. No, this is about worshiping the living God, the only one who deserves our worship. And when we do so, it changes us. It changes everything we do, how we speak, what we say, the things that we do, the things that we give ourselves to, Right? Our entire Christian life, the church itself, has to be built on the truth of who God is. If we start to make up in our own minds who we think God is or who he should be, then our Christianity is deficient. We are building our own kingdoms. We are worshiping things that that are not worthy of our worship. Ultimately, we're worshiping self in a lot of ways. We have to be careful with this. 
And God says, who, to whom will you liken me and make me equal, to compare me that we might be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, they hire a goldsmith and make it into a god, then they fall down and worship. Just keep these pictures in your mind. We're going to come to some contemporary versions of this, examples. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from trouble. How many times do we go to things other than God to rescue us, to help us, to appease us, to entertain us, to make us happy? Nothing can do that except for him. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who's making himself known to Israel, and to Egypt, and to the world. And this is the God who's revealing himself in the scriptures. This morning. This, this is why we're here. Some, we're, just, we're just forgetful, as we see a lot of times, right? So um, we have to remember, why are we here? Where did God bring us from? I, I love in my, um, one of the useful parts of, of these devices here, little reminders and notifications, but on Shutterfly, if you've ever made a calendar or ornament or something like that for Christmas, um, they keep all of your all of your photos, and I've mentioned this before, but I, I get the reminders, like five years ago today, and it shows you pictures of a younger, more vibrant, full of life you, right, um, with hair or darker hair or something, right? But it's, it's, it's just fun to look back and you see, you know, uh, your family is being younger and now you look at them and they're gigantic or they're, right, they're much different and you still can enjoy that, but you, you, you have fond memories of those times. You think about that. You think about, oh yeah, I remember that house and that car. I remember what we were doing at that time and that event and that was really special and that was good or that time maybe it wasn't as good. And, but we remember those things and it's fun. I think as Christians, uh, those of you who are believers this morning in Jesus Christ, that there was a, there was a point in time, whether it was a moment that you said a prayer, that you had a realization that, that God opened your mind to his truth, or maybe there was a season in your life where that took place. But there was a moment where you crossed over from death to life, that you left darkness and you started living in the light of Christ. There was a moment when the truth of Scripture that was shared with you, that was spoken, you heard the Word of God, you heard that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that you can't save yourself, that God made a way that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you, to atone for your sins. You've been forgiven of your sins because of Christ if you believe in him by faith. If you believe in your heart, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you're saved. You're saved. And God has saved you to eternity with him. Before you were on the track to, to hell, which is eternal separation from God. A, a, a just punishment for your sins. But Christ took that punishment on himself. God sent his own son. God made a way for you to be with him. And not only did he send his son, and, that, and when, you, when by faith you believed in him, he sent his Holy Spirit as a deposit the Holy Spirit indwells you so you can live this life. You can become more like Christ. Right? He's our comforter. He's our helper. 
He allows us to understand the scriptures, to understand more of God as he reveals himself. And so this great blessing, this, this moment in, in, in your life that you made that decision, that you made, you crossed over. And like I said, it could be a moment, it could have been more of a season. Either way, do you remember that? Do you think about that? Maybe you should put a little reminder in your phone to pop up on occasion. Remember 10 years ago today. Remember 20 years ago today. Remember 50 years ago today. You crossed over from death to life. And the best part is you went from being old to being a new creation. So you might look a little bit older, but inwardly, (laughs) you're being made new. We need to remember those things. Remember who our God is. Why did we say, why did we bow down before him? Why did we admit our sin? Why did we confess? Why did we believe? Why did we worship? He's the only one that could save. He's the only one that's made a way. He's the only one that could defeat death and sin. He's the only one that could, that could resurrect Jesus. He's the only one. And so when we see these plagues coming down and this judgment and this justice of God on these gods of Egypt, we see that there is a heart to be worshipped. God wants to be known. He's to be worshipped. If you look in Revelation and you look at all of the, um, really the judgments that are coming through Revelation, a lot of them are plagues. But throughout Revelation, as all these terrible things are happening, the judgment of the earth, the wrath of God coming, what is, what is sprinkled throughout all of that? Worship. Right? There's worship happening throughout all of those. You don't need to turn there, but you can just listen. Revelation 4. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. All of their rewards, all of the things that, they, that God has blessed them with, they, they're, they're nothing compared to him. Verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Only God is worthy of that kind of worship. Revelation 14, in the middle of these of the seven plagues and, and God's seven bowls of wrath, there comes this great accompaniment of just praise. Um, verse 15, verse 3. Chapter 15, verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. This is all about worship, right? Because he's worthy of that. And so when we start to give our attention to other things and start to kind of blend in with the tide of the world and what the world is worshiping and glorifying. We take our worship away from God and then all the troubles start to pile on, right? Because what is Jesus looking for? Worshippers, true worshipers, right? Those who worship in spirit and in truth. They worship in the spirit. They worship from the inward place, not just externally and raising their hands because they're a certain location and venue, but they worship from the heart, and they worship in truth based on who God really is. Right? And so we're singing these songs. The songs are theologically sound. They, they have truth coming out of them. 
this is what I believe, right? I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're, we're proclaiming these truths, and by doing so, we're worshiping him. That is what God is after in all of these, all of these plagues. He's making Pharaoh to be his servant for, for making himself known. He's using him to show his power and who he is. But he's also doing these plagues because he's also rescuing his people. And so let's uh, read the first part of chapter 9 here. Quite a preamble, I know. Sorry. As I said, I could probably just read this whole thing. I just mark everything. And then what's, I don't know what the point is because I'm just, whatever the Lord wants me to say, it's all good, right? It's all blessing. We will stick with ch- chapter 9, verses 1 through 12 this morning. Let's read God's word together. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, This is after the flies now, and Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a severe, very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, meaning he went to investigate, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. We'll stop there um, as we continue on. Let's pray and ask God to speak. Father, we thank you for um, allowing us to gather in this place, to giving us a place to, to worship you. Thank you for the gift of song, of singing, of music. We can lift our hearts to you, Father. And not just in an emotional way, Lord, but with our minds as well. Our hearts and our minds collectively, with all of our strength and everything we are, Lord, giving praise and honor to you, the living God, the one who has no beginning and has no end, the great I am, Yahweh. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being your people and that we can gather um, to worship you, Lord. And as we worship, we are blessed. You give us more than we ever give you. So we thank you for that this morning. Thank you for your word. Help us to understand. Holy Spirit, please help our minds to understand exactly what you want to say. I pray that from the depths of our hearts, Lord, you would speak about the things that we need to change, about the sin in our life, about the things that we choose to worship apart from you. Simply, Lord, about the idolatry that we continue to carry with us. Forgive us, Father. We repent of this sin. Make it clear to us the areas that need to change, Lord. Help us to be true worshipers of you. We thank you for this morning and this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The fourth plague is done. You would think Pharaoh would be done by now, but he continues to harden his heart. His heart is continuing to be hardened by all these circumstances, and God himself is hardening Pharaoh's heart as part of the judgment on this man. And so God says the fifth plague, 
Go in to Pharaoh, say to him, let my people go, they may serve, they may serve me. If you refuse, the heavy hand of God will, will fall very severely with a plague, a blow upon your livestock. And remember that the livestock, the, all the, the lists that's here, the horses, donkeys, camels, the herds, and the flocks, this is, what we're seeing here is a deconstruction of the entire economy of Egypt. He's taking away everything. The Nile was the first to go, right? And now all these other plagues are just not only disrupting everything that was taking place, right, but starting to destroy everything around them. And now they're livestock. So God was sending pestilence and he was sending, you know, the plagues of, of insects and frogs, but now all of their, really what, 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 what is mostly in their wealth portfolio as far as how they survive, whether through food, the food, or, or using it for agricultural purposes or transportation purposes or whatever, is all the livestock, everything. And God caused all of it to die, all the livestock to die. And what he's doing here is he's once again making a distinction, right? Making a distinction between himself as the true God and the gods of Egypt, the false gods, these creation things that are being worshipped by these people. He's making a distinction between who he is and who these gods are. The magicians, they couldn't do anymore, right? And where are all of these gods that he's offending? Where's the frog lady? Where, why isn't she coming out of the, out of the lake, right, and, and bringing a sword and doing her damage? Where, where is she? Right. They're, they're nowhere to be found. God is judging all of them. And livestock was so important to them, dead. And he made a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Once again, he set, he set his people apart in that even in the midst of all of what's happening, this judgment, his people are protected. They are safe. They are provided for. And we can take encouragement in that today when we see all the chaos around us and everything seems to be falling apart, right? Within the political spectrum and the, and just society in general, socially, relationally. All the things that fall down around us, even though we are in the world and not of the world, and God will protect us. He provides for his people every day, all the time. He, he, doesn't, he will not abandon us. He never forsakes us. He never leaves us. That's his promise to us. And so he's doing that with, he's making a distinction. And it's so interesting that Pharaoh goes and checks it out, right? He wants to go investigate, and he sends someone to go investigate, and sure enough, all of Israel's livestock are totally fine. Can you imagine just seeing just a line, just miles as far as the eye can see, of just dead animals on one side and live animals on the other? Right? You know, sometimes when, when it's raining here in Colorado, we can see pretty far off, and if you have enough of a view, you can see where the rain kind of starts to stop. You can see where the hail is, where the lightning is. You can kind of see it way off in the distance. You think, oh, i got another half hour. I can keep doing what I'm doing, maybe, right? And then your hair starts to stand up, and you start to feel a little, little jolt, and maybe I can't. But we can see it far off. We can see this distinction. We can see this line being drawn. And God did that very visibly. The Pharaoh could actually see it. And he did that earlier, too, in, in uh, 8, verse 22. He says, But on that day with, with the flies, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies will be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. You may know. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. God is setting apart, making a division, making a distinction. We are to be a set-apart people. We are to be holy. We are to be separate, Right? But how often do we live 
like the rest of the world. And it's a bit insidious. It just comes on slowly. We don't even realize it sometimes. And so as God is bringing this plague, he's also he's attacking all of the gods related to it. And I'll just highlight one of the major ones, and that's the um, Hathor is the goddess, um, goddess of Egypt, and Apis is one of the gods of Egypt, the god of fertility, the god of strength. And they're both depicted as cattle, as cows. Apis is actually depicted as a calf oftentimes, right? And my son Gabe is studying this, so I, have, I'll, I will cite my son Gabe as part of the research for this sermon. So thanks, Gabe. Um, but the god of Apis, I learned some things. It was, it was interesting. The god of fertility, the god of strength. It's a manifestation of the creator god, Ta, or Pta, if you, that's a silent P. They have to be weird about it, right? So the god of Ta, the creator god, Apis, is this god. And so they, there's Apis cows. And so these cows are celebrated. They are revered. And so it's a national holiday when the, when the cows are born. And so there, there's usually a few cattle that are brought in that kind of fit the description. So the cows have to be very specific to be this incarnation of this god, of this deity, right? So the cow has to be, has to have a black hide. It has to have this, this white kind of diamond shape on its forehead or, or on its like throat or forehead area. And then they have to have some other markings. And so the scribes, the priests, the, the religious elite of Egypt, they come up and they inspect and they say, well, this one looks, this looks like Apis here, right? And, and so they celebrate that by they bring this, this new calf who is now their god, reborn again, and they bring it to us to a special house. They build a house just for that cow, right? And they, they, they nurse it. They give it milk for four months. And then when it's ready, they ship it over to Memphis in Egypt, which is the area where it will reside. And they ship it in this gilded like compartment. So it's taken care of. And then it has its own like palace. It has its own court. It's got its own um, water fountain and all like it's just treated like royalty. It's a deity, right? And for the first 40 days, only certain types of women can actually view Apis from afar. And then once that 40 days is done, then you can have more people taking a look. And ultimately, Apis as a deity cow is also an oracle, an animal oracle. And so the cow, if you got near the cow and the cow licks, if it licks your, your shirt or your clothes, that's a, that's a good sign that, that you're going to have a peaceful life. It's going to be short. It's going to be a short life, but peaceful, right? So that's good to know. So you, do you want them to lick your shirt? I don't know. Do you want to live longer but just have a lot of trouble? Then you just stay back a little bit further, and you're fine, right? If you are, if you are a hero of Egypt, if you're um, going into battle, if you bring Apis food and it doesn't like the food that you brought, then you're probably going to die soon, right? So you've got to be careful with that. And then any other type of oracle, if we want Apis to predict something, there's two different passages to his quarters. And if Apis goes to the right, that's, a, that's good luck. So that means he's, you're good to go. And if he goes to the left, then you're in trouble, right? So it's, <laughs> it just reminds me of these, they use animals to pick sports teams right, right now. They, you know, they, they pick, uh, there's the puppy bowl, there's all these other things. There's actually and I picked soccer because I'm not, I'm not a big, my wife loves soccer, but I don't understand soccer and don't really watch it. But, but what's interesting about soccer now is that they're in Germany, for the German national team, there is Paul the octopus. 
I'm not even, they named him Paul too, which is just, why would you name an octopus Paul? It doesn't make sense. But Paul the octopus, and similar to Punxsutawney Phil, if you know the Groundhog Day thing, right? So Paul the octopus predicts the winners. So in 2000, between 2008 and 2010, uh, for the World Cup, Paul the octopus for the German national team predicted correctly 12 out of 14 games. It was like 85.7% correct. And all they did was t- they took food for the octopus and put the, the flag of the team they were playing on the one food and then the German national team. And whichever one, whichever food he picked, that was the pick of the, of the day. He was really good at it. So Paul the octopus, I don't know. Right? But this is, this, this is the kind of thinking. That, that, that might be a joke. I don't know anymore. It might not. But, but these guys were serious about this. This is, a, this is a real God, and they really listened to this God. And they, can you imagine just taking some food to Apis, the cow, the God, and he doesn't like your food, and now you think you're going to die? And like, how long do you wait it out and figure, well, I don't know if he's, this is a cow. I'm not sure. Right? I'm not, and then Apis, once Apis actually dies, because the cow dies, because it's an animal, um, they have a national time of mourning. So you, the men have to shave their beard. Scott, your beard's gone. You have to shave your beard off because Apis has died. And you have to, you have to mourn for this, this dead deity until the next one is found. Right? So I can imagine after maybe a long period of mourning, some of the scribes who are just getting sick of it are like, yeah, that one looks good. And they're using a magic marker and they're drawing a little thing or doing whatever they have to do to get the next one in the, in the gilded compartment and in the palace and, but you have to shave your beard. You have to, this was a serious business. So Apis, the cow that died, was embalmed, mummified. They actually created a gigantic cow-shaped sarcophagus. They put it in a tomb. They built chapels above the tomb. How in the world did anyone start worshiping a cow? I live in a development where across the street I'm on the corner lot, they're still developing. So, but there's still a section that's open with field and, and there's still cows there. And I, yesterday I looked out the window and I was just trying to figure it out. What is so amazing about this animal that I would worship it? Why would I bow down before it? And I looked and I looked again and I watched them do nothing at all, make some noise, drink some water, sit on the ground, flip their tail around make some more noise, move from there to here, move back over there. Why would I worship? And so I'm just staring at it and trying to, I don't understand. And then suddenly there was a, there was a feeling, there was a sensation, and it was hunger. And I was like, I could, I could go for a steak. I could, go for, I could use a burger right about now. So that's as far as I got. As far as I got with Apis, there's nothing more that I want from a cow, Right? But somehow, this animal, this thing that provides food and milk and goes from a stake to a savior for, for the Egyptians, how does that happen? How do any of these things happen? Well, God tells us how they happen. If you turn to Romans chapter 1, and we'll make the connection for ourselves here in a moment. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. So before Paul gives the, gives the good news, before he really shares the, the good news of Jesus Christ, he's got to share the bad news first. Why did Jesus have to come? Why did he have to die on the cross? 
Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This keeps coming up again and again. Remember the, in Isaiah 44, he, he, the, the idolater, the person making these idols, can't even, they, they're just so deluded in their thinking, they look down at this thing and it's a lie and they don't even know it. And they're worshiping this thing that they created who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is key. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. You know, we... There's, we're, we're just a, we're a people and historically of just excuses. We just make excuses for things. We try to justify. We try to protect ourselves. There's no excuse. We all know that there's God. And there, there's been plenty of, um, some, you know, actually written down. There's some, um, formal transcripts of missionaries going into heathen countries of people that have never heard of Jesus Christ before. And, and time and again, they still know there's a God. They still know that, that there's, there's guilt there for their sin. They still know that it needs to be atoned for. They still do sacrifice. There's still a, there's something imprinted on them to know that God is real and that they are sinful. They need to appease him. There, there's something about that that they know, whether they can put an actual name to it or not. It's imprinted on us. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is what's happened. They're claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. This is how it happens. They suppress the truth. They ignore, they do not acknowledge God, they ignore God. Right? Then they're, what happens? Their hearts, their minds are darkened. There's a judgment that comes. Why is Pharaoh continuing to have these problems even though he can go invisibly with his eyes see that there's a distinction, that God's making, making a, a provision for his people and Egypt is suffering? And why does he go back and harden his heart even more? They exchanged the glory for immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Therefore, this is the judgment here. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's read that again. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchange, they are responsible, we are responsible, the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And then Paul breaks out into a doxology. He can't help but just bless God right, for who he is. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. So they know this. They know what's right and wrong. They, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And so what we see here, when we exchange the truth of God for a lie, when we move into, into idolatry, which is what we're doing, we're exchanging the worship of God for the worship of created things. Idolatry leads to immorality every time. And we see that in the world around us, but we have to start seeing it in the world within us, right? That this actually happens to Christians too, that we, at times, can drift away. We begin to suppress the truth, not by purposely looking for something else, but by not engaging in God's word consistently, faithfully, studying his word, learning about who he is, understanding his precepts, loving, having, just cherishing his word, as the psalmist says. Do we love God's word? If not, why? Because God's word is revealing who he is, how much he loves us, who we are in Christ. And if we're not in God's word, we're allowing the world to speak to us. We're allowing other things to influence us. We're allowing other the lie to take a greater prominent portion of our life and the truth of God, right? And so we are to be renewing our minds through the truth of God's scriptures. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. So what did God do? He gave them up. He exchanged their hearts as well and their minds. He gave them over to unnatural relations. They don't desire to know the truth about God. They desire to have worship of the creature. And this happens with relationships. This happens on every front. We start to worship ourselves. We start to worship people. We start to worship celebrities. People worship animals. It's okay to kill babies in the womb, but it's illegal to kill certain animals in this world. Animals are protected, right? Do you see? Do you understand that? Do you understand that that's a form of idolatry? This is, and, and there's more overt versions of this. Hinduism in India. As a, as a country, it is still impacted um, by its, its kind of religious elite, if you will. So there's Hindu nationalists that control a lot of the, the governance of, the, of India as a country. And so as far as cattle, the amount of cattle that actually exists, because, because they, they consider cows to be sacred as well, right? Hindus consider cows to be sacred. And so um, the amount of cattle in India right now in 2020 is over 300 million head of cattle. Just to give you an idea, in, in the U.S., it's 96. So they're well over three times the amount of cattle that we have. And yet their starvation rate is ridiculous. Thousands and thousands of people die every day of malnutrition, they call it. They, they like to use malnutrition, but it's starvation, 
Why? Because they can't eat animals because everything's sacred still. And you know what else is happening? Which is just, it's, it's sad and fascinating all at the same time. So this abundance of cattle in India is starting to actually destroy them. So sharecroppers, people trying to grow soybean and wheat and other things. Because in 2004, before, before 2004, they were allowed to export all of their aged cattle. So any dairy cattle, any cattle that got too old, that were no longer producing, no longer productive, they, were like, they could export them out to other countries for meat. But then they, they, they canceled that. They, they made a new law that you can't do that anymore because it's sacred. And so now all of these people that have cattle they can't afford to feed all of them anymore. And they're starting to destroy all their crops. And so people will take their leftover used cattle that they can't get rid of, and they'll just drive in the middle of the night and abandon them on the highway. Just imagine driving down Powers, and some guy just opens up his thing and just some cattle flying out, right? And then he just takes off. Just discarding them all over the place. And so there are stray, feral cattle roaming all over the streets of India, destroying people's livelihood. They have to stay, they have to do watches at night over their little patch of acreage if they're growing something for the sake of their family because cattle will just walk in and destroy everything. Does this sound familiar? Their God is, is, is destroying them. The thing that they worship is now starting to consume their entire life. This is happening today. This is where we live. This is the danger that is out there if we are not a people of the word, that we know who our God is, that we don't allow this this, this synchronizing with the rest of the world, being okay with certain things that draw our attention away from God, that take our worship away from him. We start to exchange the truth of God for a lie. What is the lie? This thing will bring me happiness. This thing will bring me contentment. This thing will be helpful for me. This thing will save me ultimately. Right? Isn't this, this is a great tool. Technology is a great tool. It can help us communicate, help us do a lot of things. It's also a great danger. As we scroll through news feeds and pictures and other stuff, Wow, that, that, that guy looks, he looks like he's having a great day. He looks like, I really like that car. He's got a new boat. I, I think I should have a new boat, right? I think I should be doing what? They took a vacation there. Yeah, I thought about taking a vacation. Why, why can't I take a vacation there, right? They don't, they don't post pictures of their credit card bill and the debt that they're in on the, on the social media, right? They don't do that. And look at that family and that, look at that mom and she, she's, gosh, they're, they're all smiling and wearing matching aprons and, and the kitchen's perfectly clean and whatever. That doesn't ever happen to anybody. Even when they try to stage their house, that probably was 30 seconds out of three hours of trying to get a picture, right? Doesn't happen. And yet we, we, we feel compelled to somehow give ourselves to this. Look at that picture of that person. I should look like that. I feel guilty now. I don't feel good about myself anymore because I'm not meeting the standard that the world has put out in front of me. That's a lie. What does God say about you? Who are you in him? 
And so that should inform everything. So maybe we decide to eat differently. Maybe we decide to go and start an exercise regimen. But if we're doing it for the purposes of looking like that picture on the magazine cover or in the photo album or for our own personal edification, some vain pursuit, then that is idolatry. Right? But if we decide, Lord, I want to be healthier I want to be healthy because I, I want to feel better so I can get up earlier. I want to be able to worship you. I want to be able to serve you. I have no energy right now. My mind is not clear. I'm just not taking care of myself. I'm not being a good steward of the temple that you've given me in which the Holy Spirit resides. This is I'm an instrument in your hand, Lord. I'm your servant. How can I serve you if I can't function well? Right? We keep our cars maintained. We sharpen all our tools in our workbench, and yet we don't take care of ourselves. We are a tool. We are to be used of the Lord. We are to be good stewards of what he's given us. And so maybe if we turn our attention to dieting, to eating properly, to exercise for the worship of God, to his glory, there's going to be a different outcome, right? Versus for ourselves, for our own vanity, because we're worshiping this thing. Looking at photos, looking at videos, pornographic videos and photos that pervades this country and pervades still even the church. It's a lie. It's a temptation. It's a twisted, twisted endeavor from God's truth. God created sex. God put it in the context of marriage for us to enjoy, to propagate, to grow family, to share oneness with our spouse between one man and one woman, God provided this thing for us. We exchange it for a lie. Why? Because we're not in God's truth. God speaks about this. And so if we're reading it, let the Holy Spirit convict us. We repent of our sin. We turn from him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he lets us live as he's called us to live. But we have to understand this is idolatry. This is not just a hiccup, a bump, a mistake. This is you're worshiping images that are not true. If you ever study this industry at all, these people are abused. They're trafficked. This is human trafficking. This is drug addiction. This is tossing away people for the sake of, of money. It's horrific. Absolutely horrific. And yet there are some of you in here today that are participating in this. Maybe once a month, maybe once a year, maybe once every week, maybe once a day. You're letting this stuff get in. And maybe it's not overt pornography on certain sites. Maybe it's television shows and certain types of things that allow for anything to happen outside of the context of marriage. And you might think, well, this is just legalism. <laughs> no, it's just God's word. We're exchanging the truth for a lie. We're worshiping, we're giving glory, we're giving attention, we're, we're, we're lifting up these false images, these idols that are not true. They bring nothing to our lives. Why do people love idols? Versus, why do people love to worship idols versus worshiping God? And in the context of the Old Testament, with the wooden idols and the, the metal and the wood, why? Because what does God say about them? They can't see, they can't hear, they can't speak. They can't see what you're doing. They can't hear what you're saying. They're not going to tell you what to do. Right? There's no authority there because they're nothing. They're false gods. 
He said, when we worship a God who knows everything, who sees everything, who hears everything, and who in his perfection loves us. Think about your life, your sin right now, all the things that you do, all the things that you don't do that you should, and how much God still loves you. That's your God. That is grace. That is mercy. That is worthy of our worship. And when you begin to put these other things away, you cast these other idols down, you get them out of your life, you remove these hindrances, and you begin to know who this God is, you begin to then worship in spirit and in truth. You worship him because of who he really is, because you're reading about him. He's revealing himself. The Holy Spirit is confirming this in your heart. And you're, you get excited about this God, and you start putting little tabs everywhere because you can't believe this is God. You can't believe that you're part of this whole thing, that you get to be with him forever, that he's preparing a place for you right now in heaven, that he's got work for you to do, that you're created perfectly by him. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He is sending you into the world, not to be of the world, but to save the world. Have you ever wanted to be part of something big, to be part of a greater purpose, to be outside of yourself, to see something big happen in your lifetime? Do you ever want to be part of that? And you go to work every day, and you go to school every day, and you're thinking, is, is this it? No, this is part of what we do. This is part of, the, of life here on this earth, and it's painful, and there will be suffering, but God's promises will always stand. He will make a distinction. He will divide. He will set apart. And we are to live in light of that. We are his people. We need to take this seriously. And so you need to go home today. You need to go home this week and you need to sit there and ask the Lord and sit quietly with him and open his word and read a psalm or read some of Exodus or read some of Isaiah. And you read and you ask the Lord, please show me what are the idols in my life? What are the things I'm giving myself to? Because I want to glorify you and all that I do. And so if I'm giving myself to my work, and this is my idol, and if I don't have this title, if I don't have the right amount of money, if I don't have this prestige or this status, then I'm incomplete, I'm unhappy, I'm discontent, then that's an idol in your life. Get rid of it. Smash it. Break it down. Down in the dust. Throw it away. Stop bowing down to it. Instead, say, Lord, you've given me this job. You've given me this ability to provide. I pray that you would give me more if, if that's pleasing to you. Help me to be faithful with this work. Help me to be an ambassador for you at my job. Help me to speak truth to other people, these lost people that are around me. They need you. Help me, Father. Help me to be content. Help me to have joy. You are the living God. This life is a mist. It's, it's gone like that. Help me to enjoy my day, my work, my family. Forgive me for making them idols in my life, where all of my attention, all of my emotion is tied up in all of these things. Help me to worship you and you alone, to give you glory in all that I do. My work is for your glory. My family is for your glory. My hobbies for your glory, Father. You will enjoy these things on a whole other level if you begin to think this way. And guess what? You're going you're gonna to go home and do this, and God's going to show you some things, and you're going to start knocking these idols down, and you're going to get rid of them. And then the next day, so you're like, well, why did I do that? And you're going to start, I really like that one. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. I, I bought that. Like I don't know when I bought that, but that thing, I think it cost me quite a bit. And It's kind of nice. It goes right, really nice in the corner, and it's kind of shiny, and I can put my hat on that, and Right? Oh, it's going to be painful. That's okay. 
There's great joy when we obey the Lord. He wants all of our attention, all of who we are. We need to be different, be distinct, be like Christ. We need to consume God's words so that the world's not consuming us. The more we know him, worship of our God should not be a chore. Right? If we read about who he is, if we see what he's done in life, if we remember where he's brought us from, and remember our testimony and who we were before Christ, if we remember those things and we look at our, all that he's given us, we will worship him. We will fall down before him. And maybe we need to start doing that. Maybe you need to start using your knees a little bit more and getting down on the floor and just having a posture of worship before the Lord. I was talking to the prayer team earlier. I promised I wouldn't give any names to expose anyone, but talking to the prayer team, there's only eight of us, so you can figure it out probably. But, but we were just talking about just the undercurrent of idolatry. What are some things we give ourselves to? And one of them is just our routine, our daily routine. We can get so caught up in it. We get up, and it's breakfast, and it's coffee, and it's in this order. And, and we can, if we're in a hurry, we miss the, the alarm by a few minutes, or something else happens throughout the day, we, we miss our time with the Lord. And then it's, it's noon now, or it's the afternoon, or it's the evening, and we're like, oh, I haven't, even, I haven't even talked to you today, Lord. It's just how quickly, right? And our day just feels heavy and frustrated, and why, why is that? Because all these other things took place. Our routines, the things that we want to do throughout the day, can become idols in our life. Now, don't get all legalistic and start everything in your house, you start throwing away and all. I mean, just use wisdom, discern, ask the Lord to help you understand what are the things that I need to do. Can I, can I watch sports? I mean, I know right now with COVID, everything's weird and different. A lot of teams aren't playing and people don't whatever, but anything that you typically spend time doing, can you sanctify that to the Lord? Can you set that apart to glorify him? Can you enjoy that without becoming beholden to it so that it doesn't start to consume you? Just start to think about those things. This is important because part of the reason we lack in evangelism, part of the reason we lack in generally just the mission of the church it's because we are not true worshipers a lot of times. We come in here with so many other things in our minds and our hearts. We're not ready. By the time the last song's played, maybe we're starting to get there. Right? Can we get here worshiping already and just keep going? Is that possible? I think it is. Can we leave here continuing to worship the Lord and have that go through the week? Absolutely. But we've got to knock down the idols first. Just one more scripture as we close. <clears throat> Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 16. Actually, starting in verse 14. I could just read the whole thing. That's the problem. I start looking. I'm like, no, this is all good. Why don't we just keep going? We'll start in 14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Right? We're no longer to live for ourselves, but for Christ. 
The love of Christ controls us if we understand this truth, if we hold on to it, if we study it. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with this message that God wants to reconcile himself to a sinful world. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then in chapter 6, verse 14, next page, Paul says, as part of this separation being distinct, we are ambassadors sent into the world, not to be of the world. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Um, Your word is living and active. Father, thank you so much that you desire to see us be changed more and more into the likeness of your son. You've called us to be holy as you are holy, and you provide a way for us to do that. Anyone here this morning, Lord, that is discouraged, that feels like they've tried and tried again, It just doesn't stick. It just doesn't seem to happen, Lord. Please encourage their hearts that we would stop striving so much in our own strength and start submitting to you, Holy Spirit. Yes, we are to partner in the work, Lord, but you are doing the work in and through us. We try to do things on our own, and we fail every time. Help us, Lord. Help us to overcome the idols in our life. There are many some that we don't even see. Lord, please bring them to light. Help us to bow before you in worship this week, in spirit and in truth, that we would stop exchanging the truth of who you are for a lie, that we'd be a people of the word, we'd be sanctified by your word. That's the only way that we will be sanctified, is by the truth of your living word. Help us to put away all these other false things, Lord. They are nothing. They cannot see. They cannot hear. They cannot speak. They cannot save. Only you can save. And by doing so, Lord, as we are made more and more holy in the likeness of your Son, as we are your people, Father, help us to proclaim your name in all the earth, to bring you great glory, for you are worthy of that.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.